0: In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. and We want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash art of man. Thanks for your help. Hey, it's Brett. We're taking a break from a new episode today. So we're going to rebroadcast episode number 358, The Stranger in the Woods, The Story of the Last True Hermit, aired originally in 2017. It's one of the more memorable episodes I've done, interviews I've done, stories just fascinating. Hope you enjoy it. See you on Wednesday. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Have you ever wanted to get into your car, drive off in the middle of nowhere, leave behind the hustle and bustle of civilization, and just be by yourself? Well, in 1986, a man named Christopher Knight did just that and lived in the Maine woods without any human contact. Any human contact for 27 years until he was discovered in 2013. My guest today wrote a biography, "The Stranger in the Woods," about this man who locals called the Hermit of the North Pond. The author's name is Michael Finkel. The day on the show, we discuss how Chris. Survived survived in the main woods alone by himself but more importantly we discuss why chris wanted to be by himself for so long and by looking at the life of one of the modern world's last true hermits michael and i explored the idea of hermitage solitude and why being an individual requires you to be alone after the show's over you're going to want to go off in the woods and be by yourself but before you do that go check out the show notes at aom.is hermit Mike Finkel, welcome to the show. Thanks, happy to be here. So you wrote an interesting book. It's sort of a hybrid of looking at the life of a hermit named Chris Knight. We're gonna talk about him, but also exploring the ideas of solitude and being alone. And is that important to being a human, being an individual? So let's let's talk about what drew you to the story of Chris Knight. So this is a guy who lived in the Maine woods, middle of the Maine woods by himself for 27 years. How did you get connected with
1: the story and why did you decide to write this book? Yeah, so I've been a journalist for like 27 years. And this is only my second book. I got three little kids. I have a short attention span. If a story doesn't deserve to be a book length telling, then I'm gonna, going to avoid it. It's just my, it's my tendency. I'm an impatient person. And boy, this story of Christopher Knight the Maine hermit really just grabbed me by every sense possible. You know, as you mentioned before, here's a guy who lived completely alone in the woods of Maine, which is really, really cold, by the way, for twenty-seven years and claimed he not only didn't speak with anyone, didn't see the internet, didn't make a phone call, never spoke a word aloud except for one syllable once. He said hi to a passing hiker, never even lit a fire, which is boggles the imagination for fear that smoke might give his position away. Also, he became this like over the 27 years, he also became this very odd legend for food and clothing and a few survival things and books. He broke into these small cabins, I'm sure we'll talk about this further. He broke into these second, uh, these sort of summer cabins, simple summer cabins in the woods on the lake country of central Maine. And so he there was this sort of legend built up about him and people had wildly different opinions of him. Some people thought that this guy breaking into houses was like the worst thing that ever happened to them. You know, this guy broke into, uh, you know, if you, if you break into someone's house, it's you know, it's, you can get 10 years in prison, even if you don't take anything. And other people thought this mysterious person might have some heroic qualities. And I love the fact that there was a myth, there was a person. And then, of course, the great question is, you know, how did he survive, why? And then what happens after a person who has been away for so long is thrown back into our very loud, very, you know, 24-7, 365 society. What happens then? How could you not be interested? It's catnip for a journalist is what I'm trying to say.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about Chris Knight's backstory.
1: What year did he go off into the woods by himself? How old was he when he decided to do this? Christopher Knight grew up in central Maine in a kind of an unusual family. He had four older brothers. One younger sister, they were a very private family. All the children, the night children, were ex- got extremely good grades in school. But more than that, they, they, the family did not have a lot of money, but they learned how to hunt and fish. They learned how to fix everything from electrical to automotive to plumbing. Their house, according to people that have been inside, it was like a library. They all read everything from Shakespeare to poetry. In the evening, they studied like theoretical physics and hydrodynamics. And these guys built this crazy greenhouse where they could, you know, grow food all winter and not pay a dime. To the electric company, now, Chris Knight. You know, people I spoke to that went to high school with him considered him shy. Some people said nerdy, but no one expected him to do something as radical as he did. Anyway, so Christopher Knight quit the world at age twenty, which is extraordinarily young for a hermit. I just imagine never getting another piece of advice from your elder after the age of twenty. I mean, I'm uh I'm forty eight years old, and I still call my father for advice frequently. He drove his car, Subaru Brat, into the woods of central Maine and abandoned it there through the keys in the center console. And at the age of 20, with very little supplies, just the most scant amount of camping gear, no maps, no compass, walked into the woods of central Maine and wasn't seen again for 27 years. It's an incredible story. And I do want to emphasize that everything I'm saying tonight is not only true, but it has been thoroughly vetted By fact checkers and lawyers and the police investigators and everything. This is a true story. No fake news going on here at The Art of Manliness.
0: So what year was this? Because that's another important factor because he, you know, probably missed a lot
1: in 27 years. Yeah. So Chris Knight departed the world, I believe it was 1986 and wasn't pulled out of the woods until 2013. So just imagine that in 1986, there had been, I think Reagan was president there were no cell phones. Nobody had heard of the internet yet. It's not just even the years; it's like the years of his, his life between the ages of twenty and forty-seven. Most people, you know, more or less live their entire life before that. You're sort of a young kid, and after that, you're sort of a middle-aged man. This is when most people go to school, pick their job, get married, have a family. You know, make, make all these massive life changes, buy a house. You know, figure things out. But this guy lived by himself for the, the, the basically the heart of his life
0: so the next question is like why like what caused him to do it i mean most was it a unabomber thing where he's like fed up with society wanted to get away from it Did he have some sort of spiritual motive like what why did what
1: caused him to drive his car in the middle of the woods and just give it up and then walk out into it yeah I, mean, I think that's the operative question why and of course that was the first question on my mind it was like how did he survive which we can get into but why why would you quit the world for 27 years and I'll try and be as brief as possible, and the answer is actually sort of simple. But the reason why it's very difficult to imagine is that most people, me, you, I'm sure the vast majority of people listening to this, don't really spend much time alone. And we, we really, as humans, we we really don't like to spend that much time alone. It's clear. Like you know, watch anybody when they have like twelve idle seconds. What what's the first thing most people do these days? They fish their cell phone out of their pocket and start to connect in some way or another. But Chris Knight, like you know. Despite the fact that 99.9% of us don't like to be alone, there has been throughout human history since the beginning of recorded time, which goes back about 5,000 years, in every culture at all times, there's been a thin but distinct stream of people that really wanted to be alone. And there is even a genetic component to this. And Chris Knight expressed many of the same things that, you know, the hermits throughout history have said, which is that he always felt a little uncomfortable around other people, more than a little uncomfortable, and he really liked his own company. And it was like, he described it as this sort of gravitational pull. You know, when I was talking to Chris Knight, you know, I was guessing, you know, were you, did you commit a crime? Were you embarrassed about something? Were you confused about, say, you know, this is the 80s in Central Maine? Were you confused about your sexuality? Something. And he said, no, no, it was nothing specific like that. And really anything like that's not going to keep you away for 27 years. So Chris Knight had this radical idea of how he wanted to live his life and he decided to attempt it He decided to fulfill his most radical idea, pretty much probably more fully than, I'll just speak for myself, more fully than I will ever dare and probably most people listening will ever dare. And why did he leave the world? He left the world because he just didn't feel comfortable being around other people. He felt this tug to be alone. But the better question, Brett, the better question is why did he stay? And the answer to that question I find really fascinating. He stayed alone because he really liked it. He expressed a great deal of contentment. Now, he definitely suffered during winters and definitely suffered from hunger sometimes. But overall, he said he loved being alone. He expressed more contentment about his life than most people I meet out here in the world. So he left because he felt this strong tug, but he stayed because he was happy. I mean, I, I what, what are we all searching for in life? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. He found it.
0: Yeah. We'll get into how he, how he's able to do this. I thought it was interesting when they, when he finally got caught, there was all these therapists and analysts, like, you know, doing, trying to figure out like, what was that component? Was he, did he, you know, he felt uncomfortable around people. Was he autistic or did he have some sort of other thing? But like the consensus was, there was no consensus that something was, you know, quote unquote wrong with Chris Knight. Like he just, had a
1: tendency, he wanted to be by himself and he enjoyed it. I mean, of course, it's, it, it, it's, I can't blame anyone for thinking like, oh, what's wrong with this guy? Because that's exactly what I thought. And he, Chris Knight was examined by a state psychologist who offered a couple of things, the obvious sort of like the Asperger's or something on the autism spectrum. But I spoke with many, you know, people who said they couldn't make a specific diagnosis without actually talking to Chris Knight himself, but really reviewed the case. And as you just said, there really is nothing no diagnosable syndrome that you can pin on Chris Knight. Many autism experts said to me, we just could not consider him to be on the autism spectrum. There's just, he had to plan ahead. There's no, in the annals of autism, there's no examples of a person who survived by themselves for this long, who can plan ahead, who had all these, you know, he just didn't fit any diagnosis at all. In fact, (laughs) you know, it'd be like saying, you know, every hermit has a problem. In fact, you know, and I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to get too deep into this. But the truth is, like, you know, probably there's two or three days a week where I'm, you know, driving, driving my three kids around and they're fighting in the back seat, and I'm stuck in traffic and there's terrible news coming out of the radio and six, you know, text messages. My phone's binging constantly and I'm late for not only my projects, but the meeting I'm supposed to be. at, And I'm, I'm sort of stressed out and I'm thinking that, you know, it's not really Chris Knight is crazy. It's it's the rest of us. And I really mean that.
0: Yeah. And like, he, he was kind of self-aware of that. He, when you talk to him, you know, he'd say like, I know people think I'm crazy. I understand that. But like, maybe you guys are the crazy ones. Like he was very, like, he was very philosophical about his solitude, even though he wouldn't say that he's being
1: philosophical. Right. So, you know, just briefly to, you know, to keep the story a little coherent, um, you know, Chris Knight planned to spend his entire life in the woods. He never wanted to come out ever, not 27 years, not ever. He wanted to, he planned to die completely anonymously. But as I mentioned, he did steal food and other survival supplies and books, and was eventually caught. And we can get into that. But um, And so was forcibly removed from his solitude. And that's the only reason I was able to talk to him. He was actually in jail. And so most of the time we met was in a jail visiting room. And if there is one thing I can say about Chris Knight. And there's lots of things I can say about him, but he is extraordinarily intelligent. I rarely encountered someone who could not just quote from a thousand books. He seemed to have a photographic memory, though he denied it. I don't have a photographic memory. I just remember everything, which seems to me like. And as you mentioned, he said he didn't leave the world to make any statement. He wasn't trying to make any of us feel bad about our decisions. He just did what he wanted to do. He did feel terrible about having to steal and we can, you know, that's a whole other issue, whether, you know, whether, whether Chris Snipe should be forgiven or not for his crimes and nobody's wrong on that one. But he, you know, he felt that he found the place where he was most content in the world. And if, if for other people, it was, you know, in the middle of a office building or, you know, sitting in front of a computer most of the day or raising a family, then he never, he never wanted anyone to feel bad about their own choices, but had this very sort of I don't know, sophisticated, intelligent, is sort of inscrutable air about him where he felt that his choices were completely logical for him.
0: And it wasn't like scary because, like, a lot of times, you know, hermits or people kind of go out, like, they kind of scare you because they go out there for like scary reasons. Like, I you said, he didn't judge others. He's like, I just wanted to do my thing and be left alone.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, and Chris Knight was aware of this, he did frighten other people. He broke into about, there are a couple of maybe 300 houses in second homes in the lake region where Chris Knight. He camped in the same site, Chris Knight, for more than 25 of his 27 years. He basically spent a little more than a year wandering around the woods of central Maine, really not knowing exactly where he was, though sensing it, and then found this amazing spot in the woods, uh, not too far from civilization, but certainly far enough so that he could be completely alone, and broke into approximately, he had about 100 cabins in his repertoire. and. Really, some people were extraordinarily disturbed by his actions and he knew this and didn't feel great about it, but sort of made the decision that he would rather be alone and steal than in the world and law-abiding. And so it's a very complicated and sort of, he never quite, uh, Chris Knight himself, never quite resolved the conundrum about being a thief. So let's talk about, okay, you know,
0: how he survived for 27 years. So you've been talking about he's been stealing food. What was his camp like? And, you know, because like, as you said, Maine winters are crazy cold. During the springtime, they have this terrible black fly season where they just swarm you and bite you. It's terrible. He never lit a fire. So, how was he able to build himself a place to live comfortably? I mean, re-
1: yeah, relatively comfortably for 25 years. Yeah. So, I mean, Chris Knight's story is literally unbelievable. Like, uh, you know, everybody I asked, uh, I'd say about 80% of the residents. Of Central Maine, the victims of his crime, and, no, and normally the closer I get to a story, the more people explain it, the more believable it is. But this was, uh, this was almost the opposite. The closer I came to the area Chris lived, the less people could believe it. You know, and, and a few of the things people said to me were like, you know, how is it possible to go? 27 years without lighting a fire? How is it possible to go 27 years without seeing a doctor? You know, how is it possible to have a campsite not that far away that no one's ever in by? You know, how did Chris Knight survive the great ice storm of 1998? And on and on and on. And I was able to ask Chris Knight all of these questions. and. I was searching for like one, you know, when someone tells you a story and you find one tiny thing that that contradicts what they're saying, well, then the whole story falls apart like a house of cards. Like if I had gone to his site and found one charred piece of wood that indicated there was a fire, the whole thing would fall apart. And I'm going to tell you, I never after I spent three years working on this book, I never found a single thing that contradicted anything Chris Knight said. And even the police officers that arrested him exclaimed that they... Probably had rarely met someone who seemed so honest as Chris Knight. So, just quickly, like, how do you go 27 years without getting sick or needing to see a doctor? Well, the way we get sick is by being around each other. We exchange bacteria, we exchange germs, we exchange viruses. If you're not around other people, you don't get sick. I mean, you can still get something like. Diabetes or cancer. But when I talked to doctors, they said it made perfect sense that Chris Knight never got sick. It's in terms of, say, the great ice storm of 1998, as Chris Knight himself said, you know, it was like 28 degrees during that great ice storm. It really wasn't that cold. It was terrible for the electrical wires, and he couldn't drive a car 10 feet without skidding off the road. But it was perfectly fine for him. Not only that, he actually liked it to put a layer of ice over the snow and he could walk around without leaving footprints. He wished it was a great ice storm every week. Now, he told me to find his site and a lot of the answers would be clear. And I've spent most of my life in Montana, I've I've spent a lot of time camping and hiking in the woods. I consider myself a decent woodsman, but wow, I have never seen woods as thick, as dense as difficult to navigate as Chris Knight's forest. Not only were there tons of trees tangled all over each other in a very thick undergrowth, the last ice age smothered Maine in glaciers. And when the glaciers retreated, they left behind these enormous automobile-sized boulders, which are just everywhere in Chris Knight's woods. The woods are so thick, not even that many deer walk through. It's just impossible to navigate. Chris Knight learned to walk in these woods almost silently he memorized all these patterns where he could step on a root and on a rock he could not snap a branch he could not even leave a footprint and it took me a long time to find this site even though i knew approximately where it was and that it was very close you know within if you knew exactly where you're going three minutes to the nearest mud driveway and it was one of the most i i'm still imagining right now as i'm talking to you the first time i found a site it was like the entrance was between these two boulders that when you looked at it most directions it looked like it was one big rock i called it the elephant rock but from a certain angle you could see that there was a big crack in the rock where i guess it had split during the glacial period and you could sort of twist your body and sneak between these two rocks and i did that and there was a sight and it was like one of the most gorgeous things i've ever seen and i told you i've spent a lot of times in the woods is like chris Knight had cleared out like a cube a forest, imagine the forest as dense as a Brillo pad all around you and suddenly you walk into this clearing, but it even had a roof overhead because the tree branches linked and uh, you know, Chris Knight was aware of this and a couple of police officers said they did a few flyovers looking for this dude's camp. Well, you know, and never found it and it was understandable why because there was a roof overhead. It was completely cleared out. His floor was perfectly flat. And what Chris Knight had done for years and years and years, he stole and read a lot of magazines and books. And very often when he was finished with them, he would would make what he called bricks. He would tie stacks of them together, tape them with electrical tape, which he stole the electrical tape and bury them in his site and make a perfectly flat floor that also was excellent for draining rainwater. And so we had this perfectly flat floor, this beautifully cleared-out space, an impossible-to-find spot in a dense woods. And I, you know, I spent five nights there across all seasons. And you know, even even to this moment, right now, talking to you, when I'm. When I feel stressed out, when I feel like the world is getting a little too loud and crazy, I I think about that spot. I, I I never went there with anybody else. I spent that time alone, and it was amazing. You could hear the forest. You could see not too far into the forest because it was so dense, but you really felt like you were in this. I don't know. Have you ever been to like one of those aquariums where there's like a tube where you can walk through and you're like underwater? I like could felt like I was like in a room in the forest with like, but yet able to breathe and have my own little space. It. I don't think I could really overstate how fantastically lovely this spot was. And I understood why he wanted to stay there. You know, I don't know if I want to stay there 25 years, but boy, I could use a couple of long weekends there now and again. Right.
0: We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made to measure suit. A lot of fun, and then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. So as I said earlier, this book, you use it to explore the idea of solitude and hermitage. Let's talk about, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, there, since the beginning of you know, recorded history, there have been hermits. Can you kind of give us the, the rough thumbnail sketch of the history of hermitage in in humanity?
1: Yeah, the very first, some of the very first writings we have that exist, some writings etched on animal bones from ancient China and some writings scratched onto clay tablets from Mesopotamia mention uh, wild men or shamans, people living alone in the in the wilderness. And so uh, as I said, you know, certainly before recorded history and for all of recorded history there have been people that wanted to be by themselves. The majority of these people did it for religious reasons to seek a closer relationship with God. There's the famous desert fathers of early Christianity, many Buddhists of course go on long retreats. Now Chris Knight did not follow a formal, formal religion and did not escape for any religious reasons. But the religion is the main reason. A secondary reason is sort of what I call protester hermits. You know, a lot of people left the world uh, because of war, because of pollution. Even right now in Japan, there are approximately a million young kids, most of them male, called hikikomori, which means uh, pulling away uh, people that live in their rooms. Often for more than a decade, and you know, this is sort of a, there's more than a million of them, it's sort of a epidemic in Japan. There's even like therapists that offer counseling through the internet, but people that sort of just quit the pressure cooker society that's especially prevalent in Japan. And so these are like pro- people that are protesting. And then the last uh, type of hermit is uh, someone like a Henry David Thoreau, someone who does, who leaves for maybe artistic or self-fulfillment reasons. You know there's been also some sort of sort of tangential hermits in the early eighteen hundreds. There was a fad in England among the aristocracy. If you had a large estate, it was a fad to have a to hire a hermit. They were called ornamental hermits, and there's these people put advertisements in newspapers offering to pay it was like seven dollars a month for person who was willing to grow a long beard and live in a cave on a estate in the British countryside. And, you know, these, these aristocrats felt that hermits sort of had the air of wisdom and maybe, I don't know, mystery or something. And it became this very amusing fad that lasted 30 or so years.
0: Yeah. And are there hermits still today that, I mean, I'm sure there are hermits still today. You just mentioned the the people in Japan, but like, I think you mentioned there's like internet forms dedicated to being a hermit, which seems sort of counter-
1: intuitive. Yeah, you know, actually... Paradoxical. I have hermit-ish tendencies. I am certainly by no means a hermit, but, you know, my job writing involves spending a lot of time by myself and sometimes I even find it enjoyable and, I, you know, I was a long distance runner and things like that. So while I am by no means a hermit, I sort of get the need to be apart from people. I do need my alone time. There are hermits today. Now, I want to say one more thing, which sometimes I'm almost like I don't know if shy is the right word. Like sometimes there's things that are so extraordinary that you just don't even bother to say it because people don't believe it. But I'm just going to say one more thing. I lost my mind researching hermits. Now I will not brag about too many things on this world, but I will tell you you might never speak to anyone who knows more about hermits than I do. I read more than a hundred books about hermits. I read thousands of articles about hermits. I read everything there was to know. I just wanted to compare Chris Knight's experiences with other hermits. And I'm going to tell you, I never found... A single example of another person who went 27 years without at least somebody checking up on them, bringing them food, just asking if they were okay, never did I find a single example. I will say that with pretty fair authority that Chris Knight right here with 7 billion or so people on planet Earth in the age of you know Facebook and Twitter, I think Chris Knight might be the most solitary known human who ever live
0: that's crazy. what's interesting you talk about how even like the hermits like they sort of debated what whether chris knight was a true hermit i mean what was going on there because yeah he he didn't see anybody except for a a lone hiker you
1: know there's a little hermit community which sounds like a a, an oxymoron but yes there's a there's a wonderful website called hermitary.com check it out i read every single article on it. it's a great if you're at all interested in hermits this is a great storehouse and they actually have a you know a a I guess you could call it a chat room. Now you have to prove that you're a hermit. And I did not qualify to join the chat room, but I was privy to some of the things that people write. And mostly, you know, it's not like they're chatting with each other. You just sort of post a message and log off. Usually there was only one or two people on the site at a time. And, and even Chris Knight said to me that the internet sounded interesting to him because you could, you could send a message to someone without actually talking to them via telephone or meeting them in person. So in a very strange way, if you are a very shy person or have hermit tendencies, email is a great way to communicate with someone because there is no face to face, there is no back and forth, there's no conversation at all. It's uh, it's it's, it's it, it sort of makes sense if you think about it. But this community really debated whether you could c- consider Chris Knight to be a hermit because he stole, and that goes against the ideal of hermits. Now there are no official rule books for hermits, by the way, so it's not like you know you know there's a it's It's not baseball here, It's not like you know we could do the replay and decide whether he's a hermit or not a hermit, but they thought that anyone who invaded other people's privacy or their lives didn't didn't deserve the lofty label of hermit and Chris Knight himself said he didn't care whether he was a hermit or not that wasn't that he didn't put a label at all on what he did and putting a label on anything is a really worthless exercise. And, you know, I sometimes love talking with Chris Knight because he always made me feel that even writing an entire book about him was sort of a, just a egotistical trip on my part. And I would sometimes, uh, you know, he's like, oh, you're, so you're going to take your thoughts and package them in a commodity and ask people to spend money to read it. Well, very, very good for you.
0: Well, you mentioned Thoreau. He's kind of held as America's Prototypical hermit, but Knight. (laughs) When you asked, you brought up Thoreau with Chris. Like Chris said, no, he's a dilettante, he's a phony. Why? Why did Knight have
1: so much disdain for Thoreau? Oh man, you know I love. I I think that Walden is one of the most. uh, uh, It's. I reread Walden, doing this research for this book, and I maybe maybe I was too young when I read it the first time because I I was like, all right, I'll give Walden a shot. It's a very difficult thing, but boy, I really found it to be beautifully written, and I'm a fan of Thoreau now. You know, so I was like, of course, you know, Walden Pond was in Massachusetts, not that far from, you know, New England, crotchety people, guys going off by themselves. I'm like, of course, I'm going to, you know, compare you to Thoreau. I meant it as a compliment. Chris Knight had a such humorously negative reaction to Thoreau. Now, let me just tell you a couple of things about Henry David Thoreau. First of all, Thoreau spent only two years in his cabin in Walden Pond. He walked into the town of Concord frequently. His mother did his laundry. He once had a dinner party that had 20 guests. And the worst thing Thoreau did, of course, was write Walden. And the reason why Chris Knight felt that Thoreau did not deserve to be a hermit It's because when you write a book you're basically telling everyone in the world like you know look at me here i am this is what i think chris knight didn't care about anybody else his back was totally turned to the world the thought of he didn't even write one sentence down his entire time in the woods didn't take one photo didn't draw any pictures these were all for other people to see chris knight just really wasn't interested in anybody else and he thought that anybody who went off by themselves to write a poem or you know paint a picture or do an opera was really just go, spending time alone so that they could show off for the rest of the world and chris had no interest in that yeah and as always
0: reading your book you know reading about the history of hermits and being alone and even chris knights i thought it was interesting that being a hermit both conceptually and practically requires other people right? Like, as you said, these hermits in the past, they have people bring them food, make pilgrims, check on them. Like, But even Chris, even though he didn't see people, he still depended on people in their cabins to provide food for him. So it's like, it's like pretty much like this idea of like the self-contained, self-reliant person. Like, it's kind of a myth. Like, you need, we need
1: other people. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's no shortage of contradictions in this tale. Uh, Even Chris Knight would would nod and say that there are Chris Knight, of course, he relied on Other people. He stole everything he needed to survive. In fact, when he was arrested after 27 years, the only thing in the world he had that he could say was his that he didn't steal were his eyeglasses. And in fact, the arresting officers were also disbelieving of his story. They found a high school photo of Chris Knight. He actually went to school in central Maine, not too far away from where he was arrested. And the high school yearbook was brought to them. And lo and behold, there was Chris Knight in the high school yearbook, at the uh, you know age of whatever eighteen, wearing the same set of glasses that he was arrested in, at age forty-seven. And when they saw that they were that they were the same pair of glasses, both arresting officers said to me that there was something in their head that clicked that this guy was telling the truth. It would have been really really complicated for a shy person not seeking publicity to make this all up. It just didn't make sense that he would make this up, and uh, you know the, the the pair of glasses really was the moment when people realized that Chris Knight was telling the truth. Did
0: Chris ever describe to you like what it felt like being alone all those
1: years? He did, yeah. You know, why, how, and then what did it feel like? And I have to tell you, again, this is one of those topics that just sort of defies imagination. Chris Knight, he read a lot. He even played a couple of old handheld video games that he stole. He had a handheld video game policy. He only just stole them that were at least two generations old. He didn't want to deprive any children of their Christmas presents, he said. And besides, in a couple of years, he'd be stealing them anyway. No, but he didn't, he listened to the radio a little bit. But for the most part, what Chris Knight did, what do he do for 27 years old by yourself? For the most part, what Chris Knight did was what you and I would term nothing. He just sat there. But Chris Knight told me that he was never, for an instant, bored. In fact, he said that he didn't really even understand the concept of boredom. And then what's even more impressive, and I don't think I could capture the poetry of Krishna as well as he, you know, he spoke very beautifully and I tried to capture it in the book, but I will paraphrase. He said to me that he didn't actually even feel alone. In fact, he told me, and this sentiment was repeated in various forms in dozens upon dozens of books written by hermits, religious and non-religious alike. He said that rather than feeling alone, he felt absolutely and entirely connected to like the rest of the universe, the world. He said that, you know, there was not even a, a mirror in his camp, so he didn't even know what he looked like. He said that after a very short period of time alone, he wasn't entirely aware of where he ended and the forest began. He said he just felt intimately connected with everything and never lonely. It's the way he described it was. It, in fact, it, it frankly it gave me sort of it, it sort of gave me chills. It's like I feel like people in this outside world, you know, as opposed to Chris Knight's world where we have a billion video games and a million books and a lot of things to occupy our mind. People often express that they're bored or have nothing to do, and Chris Knight, without any of these distractions, never felt that for a second.
0: So why is it that Chris Knight and these other hermits can feel that, and then we use solitude as punishment in our prisons, and that, you know, there's research that says that people basically go crazy when they're alone like that. So what's the difference? What's going on there?
1: Right, as you mentioned, the harshest punishment in the United States penal system, besides the death penalty, is solitary confinement. And in fact, Amnesty International has declared that, you know, spending more than two weeks in solitary confinement injured torture. A huge percentage of prisoners that are in solitary confinement lose their mind and go crazy. Solitude is a very interesting state. Some people seek it and love it. Most people avoid it at all costs and absolutely hate it. It is... One of the reasons why it is fascinating, and so when I talk about people finding solace and people finding joy, I'm talking about voluntary solitude. Involuntary solitude is practically torture, and it's just it's it, it's it's one of the reasons why the subject is extremely fascinating. Most of us just hate it. There was a study conducted by the University of Virginia a couple of years ago, in which they showed that about 60 percent of men and 35 percent of women would rather give themselves electric shocks than sit quietly with nothing to do for 15 minutes. We really don't like to be alone with ourselves. Humans, you know, humans were uh, one of the reasons most anthropologists consider humans to be the dominant species on the planet isn't because we're the fastest animal or the strongest animal, but because we have really big brains. But more importantly, we're able to link them up and work together. We're sort of programmed to work together. I mean, even in the in Genesis in the Bible, it said, you know, God did not want Adam to be alone. It was like the, one of the first things that God did was like, oh, he needs, he, need, he can't be alone. It's just, it goes to, to be alone voluntarily for most of us seems to go against everything we've ever felt or heard. But there are, like I said, those that love it speak so highly of it and talk about such rich experiences. This is voluntary aloneness. There have been like 20 studies done around the world that sort of examine the effects of solitude and quiet on humans. And every study has come up with the exact same conclusions, which is that time alone, time in nature, time by yourself makes you calmer. It makes you healthier. There's the uh, All the stress hormones are reduced. It makes you smarter. There are tests of memory and reading retention, and it makes you happier. There's really time alone, voluntary time alone is great for you. You know, humans are what, our species is about two million years old, and for 99% of the time that we've been humans, we all lived in small groups of hunter-gatherers and spent a lot of time alone or in tiny groups in quiet situations. And every single one of our senses is calibrated to that, uh, you know, technology, you know, change, changes very quickly. Evolution is very slow. All, you know, you can take a hike in the woods. All of us feel good about it. Why? Because that's what all of our senses are calibrated to being quiet in the woods, not Play in Nintendo. Right. So,
0: twenty-seven years, Knight was alone. How did he eventually get caught? What What changed? So,
1: as I mentioned, there was this sort of legend that built up. You know, there's several hundred houses around these lakes, and everybody was missing. You know, people are missing stakes, their Stephen King novel, their flashlights, their batteries, their sleeping bag. And, but there were no smashed windows. There was no kicked in doors. Your TV's there, your computer's there, your jewelry's there. People were very confused. But there was definitely something going on. When people examined their cabins very closely, they saw that sometimes the hasp on their window, the lock on their window was open and there were f- file marks and even some file shaving. So someone had been inside and the police had been called and they couldn't find it and nobody knew was it a was it a neighbor was it a, some Vietnam vet that was disgruntled was it a gang initiation was it you know two brothers that both owned cabins on a pond? She thought the other was the one who was stealing you know nobody knew and this went on for 5 10 15 20 25 years and became this legend and the people around the lake gave the legend a name they called it the North Pond hermit but they really didn't know if there was a hermit in fact most people assumed no way would a guy be out there For that long, it was probably some neighbor, some gang initiation, some prank, something. Anyway, finally, after more than a quarter century and intermittent police searches, I mean, really, it just sort of fell between the cracks. Like, you know, there's a lot of problems in in central Maine and somebody stealing hamburger meat and batteries just never made it to like the number one problem for the police department. But a game warden named Terry Hughes, who lived in the area where this legend took place, Realized that this was not this was not the Loch Ness monster or the Himalayan yeti. There was something happening, and damn it, he was going to solve it. And Terry Hughes is a great guy, but when he puts his mind to something, he sort of puts his mind to it. And like he contacted Homeland Security, and I won't get into all the details, but he put like electric eyes around in the forest, and he had um, silent alarms that would ring his cell phone in the middle of the night. And finally, after 27 years, Terry Knight caught the North Pond Hermit red-handed, stealing some hamburger meat and cheese from a local summer camp that was closed for the season. And the 27-year reign of the Hermit came to an end.
0: And and what was that like for Knight to have his, his reign in the woods ended?
1: Well, Knight was an extremely cautious thief, but he knew that every time he left his camp in the woods, and even in his camp in the woods, which, by the way, was on private property, a 200 acre lot. He knew that his time in the woods could come to an end at any moment. And he sort of, he sort of sensed it. He, over the 27 years, he saw technology improve. He's, you know, first there was no security system. Then there was these very large clunky cameras. And then they got so small that they could hide inside of smoke detectors. And he knew that technology was getting better. Locks were getting better and that he hoped to stay out there all his life. But While he was certainly startled and shocked, it was, there was always a piece of his mind. As I mentioned, he was a very bright person. There was no part of him that thought, you know, this is a sure thing that I could live out here forever. You know, he was, uh, let's just say he was stoic. He was certainly not happy, but realized that this was a possibility. Terry Hughes, the the straight up law and order man who spent uh, a decade in the Marines before he spent 18 years as a forest game warden, had a very, very interesting reaction. The man who really did most of the arrest was another officer named Diane Vance, who was also involved, but Terry Hughes did most of the heavy lifting. He had a very interesting reaction to Chris Knight. Terry Hughes is a extraordinarily able woodsman, you know, has found many lost hikers, children that were lost in the woods, has just a a sixth sense of able to read the woods so well, looking for any snapped branches or even a, a trace of a partial footprint, can notice these things, and never was able to find Chris Knight. The night of his arrest, he asked Chris Knight to show him his camp in the woods, and Chris Knight led him to it, and Terry Hughes followed Chris Knight step for step and is the only known person ever to have witnessed Chris Knight walk in the woods. And he watched Chris Knight walk absolutely silently through this crazily dense forest, stepping on roots that he had stepped on for 20 years, moving, bending, twisting, striding, then didn't need a flashlight, didn't break a branch, had memorized the patterns of branches on hundreds of trees, knew how to duck and weave and brought him to his magical site between the elephant rocks. And Terry Hughes said to me, it was possibly the most extraordinary thing, event he had ever witnessed in his life. He had, he thought he was a great woodsman and then he basically met the king woodsman of his, uh, of all the world and told me that here he is a law and order guy that just arrested someone who confessed to breaking into homes a thousand times, that's a thousand felonies. And he actually felt a little bit bad for arresting the hermit. And. I mean what's what's Chris Knight doing now? <laughs> so what do you do with a guy like Chris Knight? see, I think one of the one of the things that also interested me about this story is that uh, you know Chris Knight is not clearly completely crazy. and if someone is cr- crazy, we have mental hospitals for them. And Chris Knight is clearly not a violent and evil criminal. And if you are that way, then we have jails for you. What? Do you do with a person who's not a criminal and not clearly mentally insane, but just doesn't fit into the world? What do we do? What do we do with that person? And the answer is we don't have any spot for that person. We just don't have, we don't know what to do with them. What do you do with Chris Knight? There was a huge debate without getting into too many details. He ended up spending seven months in the county jail. Now, even one break in, as I mentioned, one. Unauthorized breaking can get you 10 years in the state penitentiary. He confessed to 1,000 of them. So it was possible that he could have spent his entire life locked up in a cell. But even the district attorney realized that someone who had just spent 27 years completely free in the woods, being locked in a cage with another person, whether or not he deserved it, was not a just thing. And he spent seven months and was given an extremely harsh probation that if he broke it, he would spend seven years in jail. And Chris Knight observed his probation to the very letter and never made a tiny misstep. Where is he now? Well, Chris Knight gave me the most valuable thing he owns in all the world, which was his story. And he asked for nothing in return. He did not want me to pay him. He just, he told his story because he realized that he would be hounded by journalists probably all his life. I was one of 500 journalists that requested an interview, and as far as I know, he only spoke to me. I'm very, very fortunate, and I will remain grateful to Chris Knight for sharing a story with me for all my life. Thank you, Chris. Um, he told me a story. He realized that he would be hounded all his life, and if he told me his story, that he could sort of use it as a rampart, as a wall, as a defense. Like, if you want to read about Chris Knight, take a look at the book, but please leave him alone. He told me a story, and, and, and then he said, please, Mike, we're not friends." There was no phony journalist subject friendship going on here. He is a real, true hermit, Chris Knight. He said, when he was done, he said, I really don't want to see you again. I'm done talking to you. And while I would love to receive a letter or a call from Chris Knight one day, uh, I have left him completely alone. We're not in contact. So I'm not exactly sure where he is, but to the best of my knowledge, he's still living in central Maine, has carved out, he's truly a survivor, has carved out a very quiet life for himself, and has, as, as far as I know, is not being disturbed by the outside world.
0: So, writing this story and interacting with Chris all the year, all these years, what, like, what did you learn about solitude? And did you find yourself looking for more of it in your life after interacting with Chris?
1: Yeah, I, I, I sort of touched on this during our conversation about how our senses are calibrated to the woods, and how it seems like. We avoid being by ourselves at all costs. I mean, literally to the point that we have an extra 90 seconds, we will fish out our phone and send a a text message or view our Twitter feed. We like feel this crazy need to be in constant connection. I have a weird idea, and it's possibly the simplest suggestion uh, that anyone could ever make. I bet you I'm not alone here in thinking that the tone, the tempo, the 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 discourse the public what's going on in in society right now seems a little bit crazy i think we are tearing ourselves apart i think that it doesn't matter where you are in the political spectrum i think that we are really really feeling like anger comes before any sort of understanding or compromise i think we're i think we're i think we're all going crazy to be, to be honest with you i have an idea i this is something that i have been doing in, would be wonderful if every single person who is listening to this spends, I'm not saying 27 years alone, I'm saying 10 minutes. The next time you have nothing to do, do nothing. Don't pull out your phone, don't call anyone, don't check your email, don't do anything. Just be there quietly. I don't care if you're in the middle of a city street or in your bedroom or in a city park, don't do anything for just a couple of minutes, try it. How can that be a hard thing to do? I'm just asking people to do nothing. I'm not asking you to go and take some crazy meditation class or you know, lift weights every morning for two hours or take yoga, just do nothing. I think if everybody in the entire world did nothing for 10 or 15 minutes a day, the temperature of the society, this craziness that's going on would be decreased by an essential margin we might all actually get along a little better. It's just my idea. I like that. Do nothing.
0: Well, Michael, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go learn more about the book? And I promise, you, after you guys read this book, you're going to kind of want to go out in the Maine woods by yourself,
1: literally. Yeah, just for take a take a long weekend and, and maybe take this book along. It's called The Stranger in the Woods. Yeah, take a long weekend. I have a website. Um, I go by Michael Finkel, very funny rhyming name, so www.michaelfinkel.com. If you're inspired to, there's a contact tab, send me a note. takes me sometimes a little while to get back in touch, but I answer everybody, even if you want to say something negative, positive, questions feel free to get me on my website, michaelfinkel.com. Michael Finkel, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It really is a a fun and rich topic to discuss and appreciate it. My guest today was Michael Finkel. He's the
0: author of the book, The Stranger in the Woods, The Extraordinary Story, The Last True Hermit. Find that book on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can also find out more information about Michael's work at michaelfinkel.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash hermit. We can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the art of manliness podcast for more manly tips and advice make sure to check out the art of manliness website at artofmanliness.com if you enjoy the podcast and gotten something out of it i'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us review on itunes or stitcher that helps out a lot and if you've already done that please share the show with your friends and family that's how work gets out of the show the more the merrier you're around here as always thank you for your continued support and until next time this is brett mckay telling you to stay manly